What's up, podcasters? This is episode 28 of the Ask North 40 show. We got a question from Dennis from Colorado Springs, Colorado, about how do I choose a fly rod? To figure that out, we went and talked to Fred and the Great Fall Shop and then called Tim Rajeff, who is a world champion fly rod caster and founder of Echo Fly Rods. This is the full interview with Tim and I. Uh, he has a ton of great information. Check it out. And don't forget to check out the video version on YouTube also. Hi, everybody. My name is Tim Rajeff. I um, am a reformed bait fisherman and have been wetting a line since I was wetting my drawers. I was born in San Francisco, and about uh, 15 years ago, I started a fly rod company called Echo. Yeah, when I was young, growing up fishing off piers in San Francisco and then fishing the Sierra Nevada mountains for trout and uh, traveling around carp fishing with my grandfather and stuff, my brother and I were fortunate enough to live about a mile from a fishing club. And when you think of San Francisco, you don't think about fly fishing. But in the middle of Golden Gate Park, there was a club that's the finest facility in the world. And it'd be like uh, being in a hunting club and living in Manhattan, where you go to Central Park and shoot bow and arrows. It's really a crazy thing. But in this club, it's where a lot of the innovations in the whole sport of fly fishing started. The first graphite fly rod in the world was one my brother owned. Uh, There's a competition for accuracy and distance. So amongst all of our fishing, we stumbled on this sport of fly casting and spin casting accuracy and distance. So my background not only is fishing, but I got twisted into this crazy sport of tournament casting. Yeah, I, uh, I hear you and your brother are pretty competitive. Yeah, my brother's, I don't know, do you have an older brother? I have a younger sister, so not quite. You have a younger sister, do you pick on her? I would never do no. such a thing. Okay, well, my brother's three years older than me, and when he was born, I think the doctors held, cradled this little baby, and he looked like a fiddler crab. He had like a Popeye forearm, and they go, hmm, I think this guy might make a good fly casting champion. And my brother is uh, um, got the maybe the fastest hands I've ever seen in the world so when he jabbed me and I was in, causing trouble when I was a young teen it really it really uh, it hurt when he popped me the idea is that if you're fast really good concentration he's got ice for veins uh, he's got perfect hand-eye coordination so Steve at a young age was incredible at competitive casting and it didn't matter if it was a five-weight trout rod or a 10-foot rod that you throw 200 feet with so when I was a kid and I wanted to goof off, my parents said, nope, you got to go to go to the casting club and practice with your older brother. So that's how I got sucked into this sport. And so Steve uh, was undefeated. He's like the Tiger Woods uh, of our sport. And uh, I think for 23 years he was undefeated. I mean, think of that. So at, at, at almost 60 years old, he still spanks all these 19-year-old guys that think they can cast really far. So I, I, I chased him. I had to do a little more. I had to work out. And take. I did self-hypnosis to try and get ready for my casting. That stuff that came naturally for him, I had to practice, like lowering my heartbeat and kind of zoning in on it. So in the mid-'80s, I beat him in some of the world championships for distance, and, um, and I realized it wasn't for me. So about 25 or 30 years ago, I kind of hit the wall and quit competitive casting, but that still – uh, translated into me really trying to work on rod designs because we had the first graphite fly rods in the world. So I've been following the equipment side of that uh, since then. That's awesome. Um, so you don't competitively cast anymore. Now you're just into the fishing. 
Yeah, I'm into fishing, and no, you know, we all fish. We all fish for different reasons, and for me, it's the same thing as you. You know, you want to get out, you want to have fun, you want to hang out with your friends. Sometimes you want to fish by yourself. And uh, when I'm out there, I'm always thinking, you know, what can I do to make my fishing gear better? So it's a perfect match for me being a failed engineering student. I made the mistake of trying to go to engineering school with my two best friends, and we lived a half a block from the beach in San Diego. So uh, in amongst all of the things I like to do, uh, when I'm out fishing, I'm like, oh, I could make a rod that does this better. Or wouldn't the fly line be better if it floated higher here? Or So I'm always formulating stuff when I fish. And uh, um, that's why I'm, I guess I got into this business. That's awesome. Well, how about we go to the question at hand? How do you choose a fly rod? How do you choose a fly rod? That's a question that uh, lands on my lap commonly when I'm at a, a gathering of people that have not done any fly fishing before. They just want to get started. I mean, you know, if I asked you to go pole vaulting, how would you choose the right pole vault or a tennis racket or golf club? So um, I have a couple easy things to remember that help people uh, kind of funnel their um, ideas or the questions that they have on picking the right fly rod for what uh, your fishing situation is. Um, there's two basic properties of a fly rod, and one of them is the overall stiffness of the rod or, or what we call what's the rod size or the fly line number. And you might have heard, oh, there's a number five line, and that's good for trout fishing. And if you're fishing for tuna, you'd want a number 15 line. Or if you're fishing for uh, bonefish, you'd want a number eight line. And what that refers to is how much the fly line weighs. And if you think about it, if I gave you a spinning rod, the first thing you're going to say is, oh, I'm throwing a quarter-ounce lure, or I'm throwing a two-ounce lure with bait on it. So when choosing a fly rod, the first thing you need to decide is what fly rod size I need. And there's four factors that happen that make it easy to choose that. The first one is what's the size of the fly? Because if a trout or someone is fishing, uh, sipping a really small fly, then you don't need a heavy fly line to cast it. But that same trout, if it was eating a mouse fly, a mouse, and you need to throw a big bushy mouse pattern, well, it takes a heavier line to cast a big fly. So first thing is what size is the fly? The second factor on choosing what rod I want or what fly line size I need is the distance of the cast. And just like the spinning rod analogy, if you wanted to throw 200 feet, you wouldn't do it with a little eight ounce lure, eight ounce or quarter ounce lure. You'd want to throw a one ounce lure to cut through the wind. So, excuse me, to, to throw far. So the second factor is how far is your casting? So another way to think about it is a long cast, you want a heavier fly line. Um, the next one is the wind conditions. Um, if you're lucky enough to have fished around the world like I have and you go to a really windy place like Tierra del Fuego or South America where it's blowing 20 or 30 miles an hour, well, then you need a heavier line to cut through the wind. And then lastly, uh, not so much for us trout fishermen, but if you're fishing for species that really require some fish fighting capabilities, then you'll need a higher line number to fight the fish. Uh, I just got back two days ago from Florida and Jamie in our office hooked a 60-pound tarpon. So think of a fish five feet long that's swimming and jumping and going crazy. Well, you wouldn't fight that with a number three or four trout rod. You need a number 10, 11, or 12 weight rod, which is much thicker and heavier to fight the fish. So that's how you choose what rod line size. Um, and uh, the next property on rods is the length of the rod. And there's just two, two really simple ways to remember that. Shorter rods are less fatiguing when you cast and it's like swinging a shorter hammer handle or choking up on a baseball bat. 
and they're good for casting under things. Or if you have brush around you in a small creek situation, you can use a shorter rod. Longer rods, uh, they tend to cast farther as a, as a rule. Uh, if you need to manage the fly line, like if you're on a river with lots of current, you need to mend the line or do other things or pick up more line or keep it up over the grass behind you, then you might want to go with a longer rod. So that, that's kind of the nutshell. Pick the right weight line to match those four conditions, the size of the fly, the distance, the wind, and then what length you use. It just depends on uh, the environment that you're fishing in. Okay. Um, one thing I heard is something where uh, inexperienced fishermen tend to go with a slower rod because it helps them feel alone. Do you find that's kind of accurate? Is that a, you know, an entry-level fisherman should probably look for something a little slower? So, those of you that don't know what slow action is, so um, in essence there's two props. So to answer your question, I would say yes. The idea when you're casting a fly rod, one of the hardest things to do is to feel this rod bend back and forth as you're casting it. Beginners tend to just whip the rod back and forth, and they never get this sense of load or feeling the rod bend. And um, there's two properties on a fly rod. The first one is the action of the fly rod. Can you see this yellow uh, blank here? Yep. Okay. So if the rod bends mostly in the tip of the rod, that's a fast action rod. If the rod bends mostly in the bottom of the rod, that would be considered a slow action rod. Well, um, that's one property. That's like where the rod bends. The second property is just its overall stiffness. Just like I mentioned earlier, uh, you choose the rod line size based on you know how far you're casting, if you're throwing a big fly or a small fly. But in general, if you go to a, a, a store, they're going to recommend what they think is the average rod for your fishing area. So like a five-weight trout rod might be appropriate for you, but all five-weight rods are not the same. A five-weight rod uh, in a perfect world would be the same no matter what brand or length you choose. But the truth of the matter is some five-weight rods are stiffer and some are softer, some are fast action and some are slow action. And as boring as this sounds, unless you have a specific unusual stroke fishing situation or you know, you're really fast and strong, I recommend kind of a medium fast and not too stiff rod, which kind of plays into what your statement was. If you're just getting started, avoid a rod that's super stiff and fast action. That's more of a specialty rod. Stick with something in the middle, kind of medium fast action and not too stiff. Perfect. Um, so what other advice do you have for people just starting fly fishing? Oh boy, buy an Echo Fly Rod? No, I'm just kidding. Um, if, if you're just getting started, I mean, take advantage of the people around you. Get a mentor. Um, this sport's easier than golf. If you're just getting started and you go to your, your, your shop and the people that you're talking to can help you get started on getting a, some equipment that is, again, kind of in the middle. If, you, if you've never done this before, just say to them, I want kind of an average popular rod outfit to get started. Um, the next thing I can recommend is there's a lot of people that can help you with your casting. Um, and if you practice before you go fishing, it will really make a big difference. This is not flipping the bail on a spinning reel or pushing a uh, button on a Zebco spinning, uh, you know, closed face reel. Fly fishing involves constant motion and casting. And so I, I would recommend you hook up with some of your friends that are good uh, communicators, that are good casters. Take a quick lesson before you go fishing. Practice your casting before you hit the water the first time. And it's going to really uh, help you get started and remove some of the frustration that the sport can have. Can you tell us what goes into the development behind your fly rods? 
the R and D, some of that. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, when we develop a new rod, I uh, pool from a group of fishermen and pro staffers and friends from around the world. Commonly, they'll say, hey, Tim, you know, out here in eastern Washington, it's really windy and we fish with carp and we're kind of high off the water and we need to throw a big fly under the trees. And so I've, I've been doing this so long. Let's see, how long have I been in rod working with, with uh, fly rods? Uh, I'm 47, so 35 years. And in that much time, I've, I've, I've handled so many different materials, whether it's fiberglass, graphite, that just talking to somebody, I can start to think of what length rod, what the action might be to make a rod that helps them be successful. So the first thing is just putting it in my head and formulating what the rod might perform like. Um, but I need to know ahead of time what the end goal is. Do you want to throw a really long line? Do you want to be really accurate? Do you want it to feel super light so that you can cast all day? Do you want to have it really uh, a rod where you like a tarpon rod where you may only make three casts a day? So, you know, I need to understand the entire thing. Once I do, then um, I reverse engineer the layers of graphite, how strong it should be, how long is it, the action, and all the other things that go into a fly rod. Uh, and then I produce samples based on that. And uh, we have five different factories we use that actually produce the rods. And each one of those factories, in my opinion, has um, a strength. One of them might be to produce heavier wall rods for beginners that are super, super tough. Like this rod here, you can look at that. That's amazing. So you would never do this with a $1,000 high, high modulus graphite rod, but this is the kid's gecko rod where I knew they would impact it. I have a factory that is really good at that. I have, so by mixing your needs, the development of rods over 35 years, I think I can pair up a really good uh, design and the factory and the materials so that when we're done we have an affordable stick that stays with you and is going to meet your uh, suit your needs for your fishing. Perfect. So what's the difference between an entry-level rod and some of the really high-end, you know, $800,000 rods? Yeah, um, it's not uncommon for me to have people say, so Tim, what's the difference between a $100 rod and a $1,000 rod? That's a really good question. Um, so let's back up a step. There's seven factors in every fly rod. There are seven things that make up a fly rod. Um, the first one is the action of a fly rod. That's where the rod bends. The second one is just the overall stiffness of the fly rod. The third factor is what's the overall weight of the fly rod. Then the next one is how strong is the rod? How much will it handle before it breaks? I just broke a fly rod here. Uh, the, next, the next one is the cosmetics. What's the color? What's the finish? What's the color of the wood on the real seat? The next one is the components, like how big are the guides? How far apart are they? What's the shape of the handle and stuff? Uh, the next one is the uh, cost of the rod, and then finally the warranty of the rod. If you spend a lot of money, you should get a better warranty, a lighter rod, one that's more beautiful, one that is strong, but ironically, it doesn't matter how much you spend, whether it's $100 or $1,000, the two things that should be the same for you, no matter what you spend, is what's the rod's action? Is it a fast action rod, medium action? And what's the overall power of the rod? And I can't give you that answer because some of you need a different rod to optimize your fishing and your casting. 
But uh, the difference then is, assuming you had two rods that were the same action and the same power, then a more expensive rod would be lighter, more beautiful, have a better warranty. Everything about the rod should be better. But those two factors, the action and the power, that's the really holy, the holy grail. And when you find a rod that has the right snap to it, the right power to it, it'll make your casting more efficient. You won't get as fatigued. You'll be able to throw farther and more accurately. So this is a little more of a personal question, but it's similar to the last one. Describe your perfect fly rod. Um, I haven't shared this with anybody before, but I kind of have a theory on what the action of a rod is and how it applies to the average person. I prefer a rod with a pretty fast action. Uh, I started this when I was eight years old. I don't know if you play golf at all or if you see a kid hit a baseball or, or, or somebody swim. You know, some of them just, they don't, it looks effortless. It's just like they've been doing it since they could walk. So because I started so young, I developed a really efficient, smooth cast. But I can also mimic other casters. I can cast aggressively and short, or I could be long and smooth. I can cast facing you, or I could twist when I cast. So I've been doing it so long, and I've been teaching for so long that I um, can cast with different styles. The average person doesn't have that, uh, maybe doesn't have that history. They grab a fly rod, and they look like a metronome. Boom, boom, boom. And I'll say, throw 10 feet, and they'll use this motion. I say, now throw 80 feet, and they look the same. So there's a rod action and a rod stiffness for everybody. But in general, my new kind of explanation for rods is if you have a little faster action, what that means is this first little bit of the tip is probably perfect to spring 10 feet of fly line. And the next little section will spring 20 feet. So that's what's going to work when you're throwing a 20-foot cast and a 30-foot cast and a 40-foot cast. Can you kind of see how the rod progresses? Now, if you're able to control your snap or the power and you're smooth and you can control it at different speeds like a professional golfer with one club could probably hit a 10 yarder a 20 yarder 30 yarder 40 yarder with the same club and a beginner gets up there and they go whack so they need different angled clubs to hit the distance my, my explanation is that for me a fast action rod lets me either just cast the tip of the rod or medium or all the way in the butt of the rod for power and, and distance. So I can kind of get a lot done with it. If you're the kind of person that doesn't have that much control, then a rod that's a little more medium action, where large areas of the rod look almost like a curve, like an arc instead of a, a parabola, what that means is at 10 feet, 20 feet, at about 30 feet, for example, you have a large area of the rod that's helping you cast. But that means you have a big sweet spot at that distance. Can you kind of visualize what I'm talking about? So a fast action rod never, doesn't have a big sweet spot, but it covers a whole range of possible flex. A little slower action rod maybe doesn't cast really short well, or it doesn't cast really, really far. But in the middle zone that an average caster might throw 30, 40, or 50 feet on a trout day, there's a large zone of the rod that's contributing to their cast. So I kind of like that little faster action because it'll – well, it, maybe it, it allows me to adjust my cast, and then I have a rod that just about does everything I needed to do. Perfect. Um, just a couple more. What is the worst mistake you see from fishermen? What's the worst mistake I see people fishing? Well, I do a lot of trout fishing, um, and uh, maybe my the next popular type of fishing I do is steelhead fishing, spay rods. 
So for trout fishing, I think the worst mistake I see people making is trying to cast too far. If your comfort zone is 30 feet and you see a little rock or a seam, don't throw from 40 feet back. Sneak up, set it up, and I guess uh, I, I learned a long time ago that when I'm really successful trout fishing, it's because I made my first cast count. Don't just chuck a sloppy shot out there at 40 feet. Your line lands first, your fly lands, it starts dragging. You might have spooked those fish. Or if a fish was going to grab your fly, the line's ripping it, you got drag. When, you, when I'm most successful, I sneak up closer, I take my time, I figure out how far I'm going to go, what the angle of my cast is, do I want slack. And I, So I get closer and I make my first cast count. And that would be my biggest piece of advice for uh, uh, trout fishermen. And that's one of the mistakes I see most often is they, make a, they take a low percentage cast or sloppy cast. Um, for steelhead fishermen, it's making uh, sure that you have your fly swinging at the correct speed. I've seen people cast across the current and their flies ripping across the current too quickly. They're not paying attention to how fast their flies swung through the zone. And... Uh, and so just fly speed would be my uh, the biggest mistake I see steelhead fishing. All right. That's probably why I still am yet to catch a steelhead. Yeah, they're hard. Yeah, it's fun, though. Um, what is the funniest thing you've seen when people are trying to pick out a fly rod? Oh, boy. Well, I don't want to insult anybody's intelligence. Um, <clears throat> but uh, it's intimidating. When you go to a store... It's intimidating to buy a fly rod. You might have a guy standing behind the counter with smoking a pipe, and he's got leather patches, and leans his hat down. He goes, what do you want? And you're like, hey, dude, I'm just, just looking at these fly rods. And so most of us are intimidated to shake a rod. So we'll, like, we'll look at the real seat and kind of mm, we might look down the guides and stuff. And uh, one of the common things I see that really doesn't help you decide too much on a fly rod is you'll just see people kind of – wiggling a little fly rod and setting up a wiggle on it. They're like, oh, that looks nice. And I'm like, dude, just grab the fly rod and pretend you've made a 10-foot cast and feel the wiggle and feel the recovery of the rod and then go farther. So I guess the funniest thing is when you see people just kind of setting up a, a little sine wave in the rod where they just wiggle it like this and they're like, okay. <laughs> How about you? What's, what's the funniest things you've ever seen when seeing people pick out a rod? That's probably my the most common. We actually asked Fred the same question too, because Fred's in the store all the time. That was the very first thing he said, is the people that walk up and just sound wave it the whole way down. Um, I've seen the people bending it, see how far it bends, and you're just waiting for a rod to snap. Yeah, usually they'll go like, they'll go, they'll, they'll bend the tip of the rod. I've been, when I was at Loomis uh, Bass Show, you know, or at, the, at, yeah. at a show, guy'd come up and he'd go, they, they'd grab a one-piece six-foot bass rod and they'll go like this. What happened? I just broke the rod. I'm like, dude, you, you know, this rod won't break like that. If you put your finger on it, of course it's going to break. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you break a lot of rods, don't you? We keep watching those videos of you on breaking rods. Yeah, we, we uh, today, um, we, so we have these new rods for next year. One's the Badass Glass, and it's our new fiberglass rod, and it's an 8, 9, 10, and 12 weight. And uh, we have to break them today. So when I hang up with you, I'm going to go down there and we're not sure we can break them because glass, like this is a echo gecko. Glass just keeps bending and uh, we'll have to shoot video on this because it's going to be insane. I'm excited to see it. I heard about these new rods. I heard it's pretty exciting. Yeah, 12-weight fiberglass fly rod. Think of that. That's nuts. There you go. 
Yeah, I heard you. Uh, I heard you had a lot of interest at the show. Lots of new stuff. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so, is a better fly rod going to make you a better caster or fisherman? So, when people ask me, is a better fly rod going to make me a better caster or fisherman, and I would say yes. And it's not so much again that you spent more money. The key is, is the rod match your body type and fishing conditions. What that means is, um, like, I, uh, just because uh, you saw your friend use a particular fly rod doesn't mean you should. Um, uh, just like if you saw Tiger Woods or, uh, you know, Justin Spike or whatever the latest top golfer is, when you see them win a tournament with a golf club, it doesn't mean that that's the right club for you. The first thing I look at is, does the rod match my casting body type so if you're a distance runner that means you're long and smooth if you're an ex if you're a sprinter that means you're a little snappier and more aggressive so uh you don't necessarily so if your friend is a, a sprinter body type and he's a type a you know does everything aggressive and fast and you're like the chill distance runner long stroke thinner person then you probably shouldn't use the same fly rod so if, if he says, hey, man, I'm going to sell you my old rod and you bought it, you know, it's kind of a mismatch. So you're going to be you could do it, but you'll have to struggle unnaturally to try and bend that rod. You can mitigate it a little bit with a fly line. But if you start out with a rod that matches your body type. So those of you that are longer, smoother distance runners probably be better off with a little more slower action or modest action rod that's not too stiff. And if you're a sprinter body type person that uses does everything aggressively, then you're probably going to do better with a stiffer, fast action rod. That's number one. Number two is, will it help you catch fish? And the answer is yes. And I say that because it'll allow you to fish all day. to be more accurate. If the rod doesn't match you, you're either going to throw tailing, tangling loops, or you're going to throw um, big wide loops that are not accurate. And then it'll... Uh, when you make a good cast, a fly rod springs the line through the air. And uh, a study was done in about a 30% of a, the speed on a 9-foot, 5-weight fly rod, a 40-foot cast, about 30% of the speed came from the rod springing. So when you find the right rod that matches your body type, you might get 40, 30, 40% of your speed all day comes from the spring of the rod. If the rod doesn't match you, you might have to work an extra 20 or 30% to make the rod help you cast. And so that's why I say if you pick the rod right, right rod, it'll help you be efficient. It'll help you get less fatigue. It'll be more accurate. It'll cast farther. So I think the right rod really makes a difference. So it's about matching a rod to you, not a more expensive, faster, slower rod. Yeah. There's a, re there's a really good analogy for this. So the just spending more money on a rod isn't going to help you unless it has the right action and power. Now, when you do use a more expensive rod, it's going to be lighter. And I have a really good analogy for that. But there's a famous golf guru named Harvey Pennick. He said, if you want to copy a person's golf style, find the best golfer in the world that has the same body type as you. And don't just take his, his rotation or, you know, take his whole or her entire stroke. So when you see somebody out on the river that's six foot six inches tall and you're uh, six, uh, five foot ten inches tall, don't necessarily copy their casting stroke and don't necessarily copy their fly rod. And uh, uh, when we talked about more expensive rods, how them being lighter, well, there is a trade-off for weight reduction. And uh, the best analogy I've ever heard 
you don't mind me uh, giving you the one, and it's the bicycle analogy. So let's say you're going to buy a bicycle, and you go to the bike store, and they have bikes sitting there that are all done, right? they got handlebars and wheels and gears and all that stuff, and you're like, oh, cool. They're, you know, $300, let's say, and you, you want to get that. And that's there for people that are not uh, – haven't investigated the sport or, you know, they have a budget and they want to get something nice. It's all been made for you. But if you were a little more interested in the sport, you'd go to the person at the counter and you'd say, hey, you know, I'd, I'd like a nice bike. And they're saying, okay, well, let's start with the frame because then you can pick out the gears that make sense or you – biking on flat roads? Are you going up hills? Do you want thick tires for rocks? Do you want skinny tires? You see where I'm going with this? You put together the outfit. And um, so let's say you're going to treat yourself and you're going to get a nice bike. And you see a bicycle frame. It's sitting there on the wall. It looks really nice. And it says, this frame weighs 10 pounds and it's uh, $500. And right next to it on the wall is a carbon fiber frame or something fantastic. And instead of 10 pounds, it says it weighs eight and a half pounds. And you go, hmm. 15% lighter, I don't know, it's probably six or $700, and you look at the price tag, and it's $5,000, and you're like, what? It's 10 times more money, but it only shaved a pound and a half. So like a fly rod, you pay a disproportionately large amount of money to get that last bit of weight removed from the product. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. So let's say you buy both of those bikes, and you want to test them out. So that first frame is a heavy steel or aluminum frame, and you put thick tires on it, and you hit a curb out, out in the street, drive, test driving it. What happens? Nothing. The thing bounces off of it. It's a heavy-duty bike. You grab that racing frame with the carbon fiber, and you hit a rock or a curb. What happens? The thing explodes, and you come back in. You're like, dude, I spent extra money to get this. And he's like, well, you know, they tend to be thinner, less margin for error. It's more of a performance Thing. And if you take care of it, it'll still last. So just like that, a fly rod that's lighter tends to be thinner, tends to be stiffer, high modulus carbon fiber, which is more uh, prone to impact injury. It can't bend this tight like standard graphite can or fiberglass. So when you spend more money, you don't necessarily get stronger or more durable, but you do get less weight, which means more efficiency, but you pay a price. So you just got to be careful when you buy a uh, lighter, high-performance fly rod. All right, I have one last question for you. Um, where do you see the sport and the slash industry headed today? Boy, if you're new to this sport and you're just getting started today, you are a very lucky person. Not only is uh, there more information about where to fish, what to use, and how to fish, the equipment that you can get today for an introductory price is by far the best that's ever been available. So there is, um, uh, having been in this a long time and seeing the first generation of carbon fiber rods come out, the stuff that I uh, introduce uh, under the Echo brand would, would have been something uh, only the best would aspire to have had uh, 25 years ago. So there's a lot of information out there, and I think the sport is healthy. Um, it may be harder to find those isolated, quiet little spots that maybe were available 20 years ago. But, I mean, that's what pushes us all to pack our skis and maybe hike up to a ridge that hadn't been skied before or, you know, maybe drive my car farther down Baja to find a beach that doesn't have somebody surfing on it. So I think the sport is healthy. I think the appreciation for what it takes to preserve wild places is better. We recognize that fish need water. They need clean water. 
Uh, I think uh, the only thing I could say that's unhealthy a little bit in our sport right now is some of the fish handling practices. You know, everybody with a camera is now a videographer and GoPros are everywhere and people want to hold fish out of the water. So I think the sport is healthy, but we did start this thing called Fish Need Water. So if you go to fishneedh2o.org, it's a program where we try and impart some of the respect that we owe fish. If you're going to catch a planted fish or if you want to eat a bluegill or a bass for dinner or whatever, we're totally cool with that. But if you want to catch a fish and release it and release it unharmed, there's some really good guidelines that you can do to help uh, make sure that that fish lives uh, so uh, you can come back next time and catch him when he's bigger. Well, that's it for episode 28. Special thanks to Tim Ray Jeff and Echo Fly Rods for all the great information. If you have any more questions, be sure to get them to us. Comment below. If you're interested in a fly rod, check out North 40 or north40flyshop.com or come by a shop. The guys at the fly shop would be more than happy to help you find the right rod for you.